Thank you, Slim. And thank you, Mosaic Waco. What an honor and a privilege to be here. Want to shout out my good friend, Malcolm Foley. I am so grateful that we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though it's through a screen. I feel a kinship with your congregation, and I'm so honored to be here. Our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. I'm going to pray for us once more. We'll read God's word, and then we'll hear a message from God's word. So would you join me in prayer? Holy God, we're so thankful that we can connect across time and space through this technology. And we know, Lord, that even though we're through a screen, your Holy Spirit is still moving among us. And so, God, I pray, whoever's under the sound of my voice, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, that you would grip them through your word. Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts to be more like Jesus. Open up your words to us, O oh God, and transform us through them, that we might be ambassadors of your kingdom on this earth. And we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. So I'll confess, I don't quite know what to call Texans. I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean, is Texas the South? Is it the West, Southwest? So I think parts of Texas probably are, are pretty reminiscent of the South, but Texas puts its own twist on things so that from the little I know of Texas and the people who live there, you might just want to be called Texans before anything else, and that's totally fine. But I'm in a different part of the country. I'm in the South, and not just the South. I'm in the South South. I'm in the Mississippi Delta, Arkansas side, so don't get it twisted. One author called it the most southern place on earth. And anybody who's visited the South or spent much time there, you know that family is important. Heritage is important. Your lineage, your ancestors are important, not just about the past, but in the present too. And so if you meet anyone in the South, within 60 seconds, the conversation is going to turn to trying to figure out who you're related to and who you know. Oh, your last name is Williams and you live in what city? Well, do you, do, do you know Fred Williams or Estherine Williams or whomever? Among black folks, we might say, well, who are your kin? Who are your kin folk? Are you kin to the Smiths? Are you kin to the Robinsons? Lots of different questions that all get at sort of the same kind of information. We're asking, who's your family? Who is your community? Another way to put it is, who are your people? Who are your people? And we understand that when we ask this question, who are your people or who are you related to, who you know, it's much more than about your last name or your bio bio biological connections. It's about, it's about community. It's about history. It's about identity. Who are your people? In this passage, I think Jesus asks pretty much the same question in a different way. Jesus asks, who are my brothers and mother? In a way, he's asking, who are my people? And what Jesus shows us in this passage is profound because he wants to actually reshape our definition of family, to reshape our identity, our community, and our belonging. 
as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus answers the question, who are your people? In at least three ways. Number one, the people are who you get. There are the people you need. And there are the people of God. The people you get, the people you need, and the people of God. Now, we're looking at verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Uh, here we come up upon a scene. Jesus is teaching. There's a huge crowd around him. His family, his biological family, is trying to get toward him, but the crowd is so huge, they can't get to him. And we're seeing three main groups or individuals, Jesus, the crowd, and Jesus' family. And if you look earlier in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. Now what's so interesting about that phrase translated here, take charge, it's the same word they use for arrested. And so when the guards come in the Garden of Gethsemane and they come to, to grab Jesus and, and, and arrest Jesus, it's the same word they're using here. And the point is not that the family is trying to legally arrest Jesus. The point is that they are so perturbed that, that they're willing to go and get Jesus and take him by force if necessary. And then we come up to these verses, verses 31 and following. And his family is essentially on the same mission. They want to take charge of Jesus. Only this time they find themselves on the outskirts. They can't get to him. The crowd is too big. And so they try to send a messenger in there and, and go get him. And this is the family that Jesus was born into. These were the people that Jesus got. All of us are born into a family or born into really a broader community. And we didn't get a choice in the matter. We were not able to choose who our parents would be, where they would live, when they would live, who our siblings would be, or how emotionally healthy our families would be. These were simply the people we got. And for some of us, the people we got were outstanding, not perfect, but really good. We had a healthy upbringing. We had materially all the things that we need, and we can look back on our growing up, and it's a positive experience overall. Again, not perfect, but positive. Others of us, however, had a different experience, and I want to acknowledge that, that um, some of us were born into really difficult family situations, families that were broken apart by various factors, families that uh, had people who were suffering from drug addiction or substance abuse, suicide, illness and chronic illness, all of those kinds of things, and just even families that, that, that just weren't very loving toward us. And I, I understand that. I see you. And you were a child. And those were the people you got. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong by existing. It just were the people you got. And it was very difficult. That being said, 
even though it wasn't your fault, we're all probably still wrestling with stuff that, 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 that we absorbed from the people we got, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. We're all dealing with issues that started from when we were very young. But it's not just about our biological families. The people we get aren't just the families that we're born into. Sometimes the people we get are the families that we're reborn into. In other words, our Christian family, the household of God, our churches, our congregations, our denominations, those are the people we get. Maybe you were born into a faith community, you just kind of grew up in it, and you didn't really have much say in who you got. Or maybe when you became a Christian, you did choose a particular church family, but you didn't know all that you were getting into. And I think what's happened to a lot of us is that we're starting to realize that the people we got aren't the people we thought they were. And so I think you can understand this at Mosaic Waco, because by your very presence at this church, by your very commitment to racial and ethnic justice, to equity, you are probably struggling with some of the people you got. They may not understand your commitments. They may not understand the path that God is leading you on. And so it can be very difficult. I experienced this myself back, there was a period of several years from about 2014 to 2016, you'll remember in August of 2014, a black teenager named Mike Brown was killed by a white police officer. And this phrase, these three little words that hold so much meaning became a topic of national conversation. And those three words were Black Lives Matter. To which many of the Christian family that I got responded, well, all lives matter or blue lives matter. And that wasn't all. In June of 2015, a man named Donald Trump descends the escalators in his own hotel, announces that Mexicans crossing the border were rapists, and also declares his candidacy for president. And through that whole rest of 2015, on through November 2016, we start to see our Christian brothers and sisters, our Christian family, the Christians we got, we start to see that they hold very different views than we do, very different convictions that we do, all in the name of Christ. And so we have family conflict and family dissension, and, and, and these are the people we got, and we find out they're not the people we thought they were. If that sounds familiar to you, if you've lost family and friends, then you're not alone, unfortunately. Understand that, that, that your commitments and, and this mission that God has given you to pursue justice, to pursue equity, it's going to put you in conflict with many of the people who you were the closest to. I know folks who refuse to see their own grandparents or their own parents because they don't want their kids exposed to racism and bigotry. I know folks who are on the outs with siblings or, or longtime friends because they hold views that are really inimical, inimical to, to the image of God in other people. And it's really, really hard. Maybe the family you lose is among your Christian family. 
Maybe it's your church, your congregation, your denomination that because of your path and, and your commitments, they have chosen to sort of ostracize you, push you away, label you, whatever it might be. And just know that you're not alone, that what Jesus reminds us of in this passage, that sometimes even your own family and your closest allies, they're going to be the ones who don't understand your path. Sometimes it's the people who should be our greatest allies, our greatest source, source of support, who stand in the way. And it's not because you did anything wrong. It's because you're doing what's right in God's eyes and not the world's eyes. And I don't know what it is about your God-given mission that is a stumbling block to the family you have. But Jesus is telling us today not to be surprised if the people you got don't get you. Now, we've talked about the people you've got. Let's talk about the people you need. So in verse 33, it says this simple but disturbing phrase, this question. Who are my mother and my brothers? Right here is a pivotal moment, probably the pivotal moment of the entire passage. Right here with a simple question, Jesus introduces an identity crisis. Who are my mother and my brothers? Now to understand the significance of this question and how it provokes kind of an identity crisis, we gotta understand a little bit about what the family meant in the first century in this part of the world. Family was everything. It wasn't, you know, in our modern Western world, we're very individualistic. It's all about pursuing your dreams, achieving your goals. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says, including your own family. You have to go out and be the person you want to be. You see how individualistic it is that the locus, uh, 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 the center is the individual. Well, in this culture, in this society, the center was the family. It was the unit. It was the community. It's in the family where you learned your history, your profession or your vocation, your obligations to other people. And to go against the family in the first century was to go against your own identity and your heritage. It was a very selfish thing to do. And it was to risk being excluded from the community altogether. Family was a big deal. And so, from an earthly perspective, this question that Jesus asks, who are my brothers and my mother, it doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about, Jesus? They're right there. You're related to them. You grew up with them. Why are you asking, who are my mother and my brothers? Well, first of all, Jesus is not condemning families, not at all. In fact, on the cross, as Jesus is about to die, he speaks to John, who is near Mary, his mother, and says, uh, this is your mother now. Take care of her when I'm gone. Jesus makes provision for family. He, he loves families. But he is asking this question to make us reevaluate our priorities. Jesus is asking this question so that we realize that the people we get are not always the people we need. Now, you're going to think something of me as I tell you this, but please, I have the best intentions. I travel around the country pre-pandemic uh, a lot, 
And usually I'm at a, a, a venue speaking about uh, race or history or religion, something along those lines. And um, they usually have me stay in, in some sort of hotel or, or different accommodations. And over time and having traveled a bunch, I know what works for me and what sort of conditions in which I can get the best rest so that I can give my best for whatever the event is. And usually it's totally fine, no issues. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty chill about it. But this one time I got invited to go speak somewhere and they put me up in a hotel, but it was kind of one of these boutique hotels. You never quite knew what each room was gonna be like. And when I got there, they put me in the smallest room I have ever had. It was, it was okay, it was up to date, but it was tiny. So the bed took up the entire room. There was about a foot of space between the bed and the wall all around. So you had to turn sideways if you <laughs> wanted to move from one side of the room to the other. And there was no desk, which is a big deal because I've got to do work. I've got to prep and all that stuff. The only place you could sit down other than the bed was in the bathroom on the toilet. Like that was it. And I had this big struggle and this big wrestle within me because I was like, this is really not great. And I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I didn't want to seem bougie or spoiled. But finally, I said, listen, if I'm going to give my best, if they brought me all the way here, then um, I, I need something different. So I went to the front desk and I said, listen, I need a different room. And I ended up switching rooms like that. But it was just a, a very small, minor, trivial lesson to say that sometimes what you get is not always what you need. Sometimes what you get is not always what you need. And we need to have the boldness and the confidence to ask for what we need in spite of what we've gotten. So when it comes to this question, who are your people? Jesus is asking this question, who are my brother and, 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 and mother? And he's asking this disruptive question because he, he wants to dislodge the idea that the people we get are always the people we need. He wants to dislodge the idea that, that our earthly relational priorities are the same as our heavenly relational priorities. And it's not necessarily to pit one against the other, but Jesus does want our entire selves, all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength. And he's redefining, really broadening the definition of who are your people. And I want you to hear that because as Jesus asks that disruptive question, you need to be willing to ask that disruptive question in your life. I don't know about you, but when I was in the midst of, of this really difficult process of understanding the, the, the true allegiances of the people I got, particularly the church folks who I was associated with in this time of racial strife, and I'm starting to see their different priorities and allegiances and beliefs, that was really difficult. And, and what I would always get was this um, response from people, well, you can't leave because who's going to teach us if you go? Or you can't leave because you're giving up on the church. You're giving up on the household of God. And, and there was this tremendous guilt that went along with that question of reevaluating the people I got and asking who are the people I need. Brothers and sisters, it's a tough question. 
It's a really difficult question. Because to ask who are my brothers and my mother, to ask who are my people, it casts doubt on our previous ties, our previous relations, our previous allegiances. And some of us are going to feel such a, a sense of, of guilt and shame for even asking the question that we don't make a move and think about the people we need in contrast to the people we get. So I want to encourage you this morning, don't do this blithely, don't do this uh, recklessly or foolishly, don't burn bridges that you don't need to burn. But understand, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he asked that question, who are my brothers and my mother? He was upending our relationships in the way that, that, that we thought we needed to prioritize things. And he's setting us up for what happens next. So we've looked at the people we get. We looked at the people we need and realizing sometimes that the people we get aren't exactly the people we need. And now let's talk about the people of God. Verse 34, then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So you see how Jesus set that up. He asked this profound question, who are my mother and brothers? But then he immediately answers that question. You see, Jesus never brings us to the point of a crisis without also offering a path out of that crisis. He is not going to deconstruct our identity without also reconstructing a new identity. And so he asks that disruptive question and he immediately answers it. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And understand all of these terms, brother and sister and mother, it's inclusive, right, of, of, of all people across gender. And so remember before we said that his biological mother and brothers, they couldn't get in. They were standing at the edge of the crowd and they had to send someone in to relay their request. So when it says, then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, we know this is not his biological family. These aren't the people he grew up with. These aren't the people he got. When Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother, he's doing nothing less than redefining the family. Jesus is saying that the family, your family as a believer, is not simply the people you get. Your family is the people you need. And the people you need are the people of God. The people you need are the people of God. In redefining the family, in saying that your true family is the people of God, Jesus show, shows us that our spiritual community is stronger than our biological one. We have more in common with a stranger who does the will of God than a family member who does not. That's profound. And when I say more in common, I'm not talking about knowing basic facts about someone. I'm not talking about shared experience or history together. I'm talking about more in common when it comes to how we're trying to live, what we prioritize, who we serve, and what's going to happen in eternity. We have a stronger 
bond, a spiritual bond, with a non-biological family member who does the will of God than with a biological family member who doesn't. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and, and this is how radical Jesus is getting. When it comes between doing your family's will and doing God's will, if there's a conflict, then you choose God over family. If you have to decide between doing your family's will and God's will, you do God's will every time if there's a conflict. And again, Jesus isn't saying that once you become a Christian, you just toss your family to the side. There's a whole commandment about honoring your parents, and Jesus never broke any of the commandments. So we know that Jesus isn't denigrating the family here. He's just reprioritizing our relationships. When God calls you, God is calling you into a new family, a spiritual family, one that is, is bonded by something greater than biology. It's bonded by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning that, that, that if you have had to separate from the people you get, if you've had to really think deeply about the people you need and, and you come to the conclusion that it is the people of God, even though it might go against your own family, understand that God has a community set up for you, that there are people who understand your priorities, who understand that you are trying to do God's will, who understand that, that, that faith and justice are not separate or distractions from one another, but they go together. You're not alone. Jesus has brought you into a new family, a new community, and it's called the people of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because this redefinition of family is actually good news. It means that no matter the people you got, you will get the people you need when you find the people of God. It means that your family is bigger now. Some of you were an only child, or maybe you've lost parents or siblings. Some of you have been estranged from family members. Some of you have stood up for righteousness and justice, and you've been rejected by your bi biological family because of it. But I want to tell you this morning that God has a bigger family for you. It's not your biological family. It's the blood-bought family of God who does God's will. And we have several families. Uh, 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 you might have families in your church who have adopted children. They've opened up their, their homes. They fed and clothed and cared for people who weren't born into their families, biologically speaking, but they've taken them in by adoption and they've treated them like members of their own family. And it's the same with you. By faith, you've been adopted by God and now you're treated as part of the household of God. You were brought into this enormous family of people across the globe and even across time who do the will of God. This is now your family. This is now your community. These are now your people. But never forget that this new family you've got comes at great cost. You see, in order to bring you into this new family, God had to be cast out. Just before Jesus was killed, a member of his own inner circle, his people, betrayed him 
a man named Judas who walked with and talked with and learned from Jesus betrayed him to the hands of the Jewish and the Roman authorities. And they arrested him under cover of darkness and they put him through this mockery of a trial and then they hung him on the cross until dead. And on that cross, Jesus, the Son of God, experienced separation from his heavenly Father for the first time in all eternity. That perfect relationship between God the Father and God the Son was broken. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could have said, Father, Father, why have you rejected me? And there's that song that says, the Father turns his face away. You see, Jesus experienced separation from the Father. So you could experience union with the Father. Jesus cut off his relationship with the Father so you could be brought in to relationship with the Father. You see this? Jesus was cast out so you could be drawn in. Jesus was disowned so you could be adopted. Jesus was treated as a sinner so that your sins could be forgiven. And now by faith in God, your father, that Jesus is now your brother and your family is whoever does the will of God. Now that you've been accepted into this family of God, it's your job to go out and tell people that they can be a part of this family too, because there are folks out there right now who have experienced rejection. There are folks out there right now who are looking at the people they got and wondering if they're really the people they need. And guess what? You, brothers and sisters, are the ones to go out and tell them about this new family, this family that they can be a part of by faith through G in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the will of God the Father. You see, the church is more than just a place. The church is a people. The church is a community. And so we, turn, we return to that question where we began. Who are your people? Your people are whoever calls God their father and Jesus their brother and whoever does God's will. And that is good news. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, would you pray with me? God, thank you for uniting us as the household of God. Thank you for bringing us into your new family. We're so grateful, oh Lord, that we can be united, not simply by biology, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us and empower us to, to lean on our brothers and sisters for help and support when we need it, for encouragement when we need it, but also to go out and tell other people about this new family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.